Hey, welcome to another episode of the Stop the Thing podcast. So, last episode I complained about COVID quite a bit. And as I mentioned at the end of that episode, that'll hopefully be the last time we have to talk about that. But the uh, conversation, or basically the act of complaining about our government for about a half an hour, kind of got me into the right headspace to want to talk about this next topic, which I'm going to try and make a little bit, um, we're going to try a slightly different approach to our series this time. So normally we kind of try and pick a lane and then we talk about it till we exhaust or till I exhaust what I can think of about the topic. With this one, what we're going to do is we're actually going to um, kind of take like a a broader swath that's kind of related to the same thing, but yet different. And I'm doing a bad job describing this, but you'll see what I mean when we get into it. So... Without further mutterings, uh, the topic of this episode and perhaps the next couple of episodes is actually going to be the American education system. But we're going to start this topic with a, well, kind of a primer as to why we even need to talk about the American education system in the first place. So... I guess um, this episode will be a reminder of how the world works, because I think a lot of people in America, specifically because of our prosperity, forget this, and it's a great detriment to society when it happens. So I've mentioned this in the past, and I think I've seen plenty of other people mention it on YouTube and in other podcasts. Yet it doesn't seem to sink into the general population very well. And basically, the world in which we live here in the U.S. is immensely privileged. It's not the natural state of things. The natural state of the world is basically power through strength. The uh, strong survive and the weak die. And in many cases, the strong eat the weak. That happens frequently in the animal kingdom and in the world at large and human interactions, that's largely how it works. And people take this for granted because of our relative peace and prosperity here in the U.S. Obviously, we're protected by two massive oceans on either sides. And you'd have to go back to like the 1800s to get to the last time we were invaded by a foreign power, officially invaded by a foreign power, because obviously I think... um, Japan maybe attacked the coast once or twice during World War II or something like that. I vaguely recall hearing something along those lines that they like sailed a submarine up to like a port on the west coast or something like that and tried to torpedo something or something like that. But that's not really important. Well, actually, it kind of is, but it's not where we're headed ultimately. Where we're headed is... um. The fact that much with how lions eat the gazelles and the gazelles don't get a say in the matter, they have two options. They can either run faster or they can become lunch. The lion doesn't care either way. 
Obviously, the Lion would prefer lunch, but if the Gazelle cannot run him, then guess what? He's not getting it, and he can't do anything about it besides try and run faster himself. And in our society of relative peace, we forget that we're operating in the same system, the same simulation, so to speak, where there is nothing stopping someone from taking advantage of someone else. So this has multiple levels. At an individual level, you can see this principle in your your very own life. Like obviously if you walk into a room with someone and let's say that you have uh, $3,000 cash on your person and the person who's in the room with you decides they want your 3K of cash, they have a couple of options to try and get it from you. They can try and persuade you to give them your cash through voluntary exchange. Like they could give you three iPhones or something like that. And maybe that would be a fair trade for you and you'd give them the money and walk away with the iPhones. So that's option one for the other person to get the cash is voluntary exchange. Option two is that that person could try and trick it out of you somehow, uh, promise you something that they're not going to give, convince you to participate in a rigged game of chance, something like that. Option three is that at some point when you're not looking and not prepared and not paying attention, they could steal it from you, which isn't that different than option two, but basically you transitioned from you handed it over willingly, even though you're not getting something out of the exchange to you just having it taken from you, but not necessarily with you being aware of it. And then option four is the uh, the nasty one. And that's basically where this person can try and take the money from you by force against your will. So with this being set up, this little scenario here, what does this leave us with? Well, of the four options, which one is the best for the guy who wants to take your money? Well, it kind of depends on your relative strength to the person who wants to take your money. If you're a complete pushover wimp and this person could knock you out in one punch, well, then option four is the best for him because he could just punch you once You'd be unconscious, he could take your three grand and he could walk off. And that would be the end of the whole entire interaction. And uh, basically for a minimal amount of effort, he would get the maximum amount of reward. Option three is also pretty good for him because then he could, without even having to exert effort, somehow take your money. Option two is less good for him, but potentially about the same as option three. And then option one is arguably the worst option for him because in this option, he has to basically give you something of equal worth or he has to find some way to entice you to give him the money. And that's a lot of work and it might potentially cost him something in exchange. For you, on the other hand, option one is undoubtedly the best option out of all those. If you're going to have to lose your 3K, the best deal for you is for you to get something in exchange for it. 
So if we toss you and this person in this room, what decides which option ultimately happens? Well, the answer is very simple. The option that's going to play out is basically a function of the moral values of the two parties, the consequences for the actions of the two parties, and the relative strengths of the two parties. So for instance, if both of you guys who are in the room are Christians and God-fearing Christians at that, you would know the Ten Commandments and you would know that um, you know stealing is wrong, right? You would also know that uh, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Golden rule, all that good stuff. So if you're subjecting yourself to that worldview, well, then you're already basically eliminating options three, four, three, two... Two, three, and four are gone right away because you're interjecting outside morals to force you to basically play by a set of rules. Well, that works fine and good if you both have those outside moral and rules and the same kind of morals and rules could be enforced by like a government agency or something like that. Like this kind of goes back to that consequence part. If after you wake up from being knocked out, you can report to the local police, this dude who stole your 3K and they could track him down and rough him up or whatever, take the money back, put him in jail. Well, now he has an incentive and look at that. We're back to incentives again. He now has an incentive to um, avoid option four where he's beating you up and taking your money or option three where he's just stealing your money plan out. In the absence of, so both of those, those cases that we just discussed rely on some sort of like outside power kind of arbitrating in the dispute, so to speak. So in the first case I gave you, it was basically God was the decider of what's morally good and both parties submitted to God's authority of what was good to decide how they're going to act. But, um, in the second case, we replace God with government, basically. So now there's threat of consequences imposed by a government on the two parties if they act in certain ways. What happens if you take God and the government out of the equation? Well, I would argue that it's probably not possible to actually take God out of the equation entirely, but that would be getting into the weeds. So we're going to segue there and assume that we can. So now we're left with no higher authority to arbitrate the dispute between these two people and to basically oversee the transaction of the $300 of cash that you have. Well, since there are no higher authorities, the only authorities are you two. And in this case, we resort back to the base natural world where the stronger party wins. So if in this case you are, say, 6'5", 350 pounds, solid muscle, black belt, karate, MMA champion, and the dude who wants to steal your $300 cash or $3,000 cash um, will say that he's like 100 pound, 100, 150 pounds and like 5 feet tall and shaped like a string bean or something like that. Well, in this case... If this person attempted to basically wrong you and you lost your temper, it would most likely result in his imminent face smashing. So now 
you are essentially safe from any mischief that this person could try and pull on you because in any situation in which this person does something that disagrees with what you want, you have the power and the force on your side to basically force your will upon this person. So if they try and trick you out of your three hundred or your your three thousand dollars, after the transaction is done, you could just decide not to honor your word and like say you you bet it in a dice roll and he has a rigged dice and so the dice comes up and you lose your money. Well, you could just punch him in the face and take your money back, basically, or just punch him in the face and not give it to him at all. In the event that he steals it from you, unless he can escape fast enough, he um, ends up in the same situation where you basically find him, punch him in the face, and take your money back. In the event where he tries to fight you, like physically, like violently steal your money from you, once again, you just punch him in the face, and now he's unconscious, and you can go about your merry way with your $3,000 still in your pocket. So those are all the cases from your perspective as a non-aggressor where you have the power, the force necessary to defend yourself. Now let's flip this around and let's say that you are the weaker party and he's a stronger party. Well, guess what? Now you're screwed. That's literally the situation. Option four, he wants to take your money by force. Well, guess what? He can clock you in the face and you're unconscious and he walks off with your money. Option two, he wants to steal your money. Well, guess what? He steals it. You find out. What can you do? You can go and try and tell him to give it to you again. Like you can ask for it back, but if he doesn't want to give you the money back, he can once again punch you in the face and walk off. Option two, game of chance. Oh, let's say that you win the game of chance. Well, then he can just default to option three or four and forcefully take your money anyway. It's up to him to abide by the rules of the game of chance, but since he's the party with a superior power, he can enforce his he can force his will upon you, whatever the outcome may be. And option one, he can just basically avoid that entirely. So what's the point of all this junk? Well, the same example, the example we just went through could actually be used to discuss several topics. The first topic would be gun control. So like for instance, now let's say that out of these situations, Let's say that um, this big guy tries to pull all these on you, but you actually have a gun, even though you're weaker. Well, guess what? Gun beats strong human nine times out of ten, unless you're Keanu Reeves or something like that. And so, um, basically, the gun acts as an equalizer. Like, he no longer can push you around, because even though you're physically weaker with the gun, you have the ability to use lethal force that could basically stop him from doing anything that would cause you problems. So then you escalate into a competition of who has guns and who doesn't. So if you both have guns, well, then you have an even playing field and you kind of have mutually assured destruction to a certain extent. So pretty much essentially in the situation in which both people have guns, you have the Wild West where um, whoever draws first, whoever gets the jump on the other is the one who wins. So um, in a sense, you could still end up screwed, but you're less potentially screwed than if you have no gun. So basically, 
you're better off than being completely unarmed, but you're still not necessarily in a good situation either way is where you more or less end up. So, yeah, with um, guns in the picture, that's one way to look at it. So guns are the equalizers. like, And then, then you could take that into basically a discussion about why trying to control guns and government authority over guns is completely stupid. But we're not going to go into that now. But I will say that um, I always kind of get a kick out of women who are like anti-gun because um, in all of their interactions, women usually on average, and of course there are outliers who defy this stereotype, but women on average are usually a smaller size than men and therefore capable of less physical violence. So in any interaction in which a woman and a man have to transact something, if the man decides to take advantage of the woman, he can, through physical force, force his will upon her in many cases. And the only time he can't do this is when the women woman is armed and he is not. And he still could probably do it when they're both armed, but then it's kind of a coin toss who's going to come away from that without life-threatening injuries. And so the kicker that I get out of this is basically like you have these women who are um, against guns, think that they're bad, think that they want nothing to do with them. And by doing that, they're basically putting themselves completely in a situation of reliance on morals and Uncle Sam. So if they don't want anyone to have guns, then they have to depend on the fact that everyone they encounter is either going to be a good person who would not take advantage of them, which is no guarantee in this world. Or that the persons they encounter are going to be under the power of some higher authority, like the U.S. government, for instance. And that they're going to know that if they take advantage of this woman or do something shady, that they're going to have police after them and potentially spend time in prison or some sort of disaster of a consequence that's going to prevent them from basically doing something to this person. Now, I, for one... I'm obviously not a woman, as you can probably tell from my voice. But um, if I had daughters, which I don't at this point, but if I did, that's kind of one of those things where um, I would definitely not want them relying on the morals of others or the reliability of a higher power to keep them safe. I wouldn't want to send them out into the world which is basically filled with predators at this point, defenseless and relying on things that may or may not be there to help them. So basically, any daughters that I would have would probably be carrying mace at the very least, if not like some sort of gun. But now naturally, there are there are environments in which you can rely on the higher power. So for instance, in theory, schools should be kind of safe. So you probably don't need to send your daughter to school with a gun is basically what I'm saying here. And um, most public places should be fairly safe. It's just kind of those in-between transition moments like parking lots, alleys, that kind of stuff, where if you're a woman and you stray down one of those, you're really taking a high risk with your life. And if you're a man too and you're unarmed, same kind of deal. Basically, there are sketchy places where you're putting yourself in danger that you should avoid at all times. But that's not really the point that we're getting at here. 
the point that I'm trying to make with this whole entire story is, or a whole entire example, I guess it kind of became a story, is that likewise, borrowing from the 10 minute Bible hour there, these interactions from person to person can be scaled up to interactions between states. Because at the at the global scale, there is no higher arbitrating power that we can directly see interacting on behalf of states to settle disputes. So like there's the UN, I suppose, but that's a joke and everyone knows it, I think. So when it comes right down to it, if two states, two countries have a dispute with each other, they are essentially forced immediately into the situation in which they have only two options, either morals or force. Now, the problem with that is most countries, by and large, don't actually abide by morals very well. The U.S. used to, I thought, but um, if you look through history, it could be argued either way that there are that the U.S. has taken up the cause of freedom and justice. Like I said, it, it could be argued either way. It depends on who you're talking to. And I think if you were to have that argument, you would come out on the side of believing that the United States has more often than not taken up the cause for the downtrodden, the weak, and the tired, and acted selflessly to preserve freedom and justice abroad and in the U.S. itself. But I know that there are plenty of smack tards in the U.S. who disagree with that and think that our country is completely completely and utterly awful. And if you are one of those people, I invite you to reassess your thinking or like leave. You're, no one's forcing you to be an American. You can renounce your citizenship and move to Australia or something like that. But um, anyway, that aside, you're left on the global stage in a situation in which force is the only deterrent. Everything else is based off force. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're dealing with a country who is stronger than you, whether that be economically, militarily, whatever metric you want to use, you as the weaker party are basically at the mercy of the good graces of that stronger party. The very same thing goes for well, like our current relationship with China would be an example. So right now, for the time being, the U.S. still has the edge in military technology and defense spending and all that good stuff. But that gap is rapidly closing between the U.S. and China. Now, the U.S. is... A country such that, in theory, we don't go looking for trouble for absolutely no reason. I'd like to think that that's true. History has kind of proven that it might not be completely true. But um, in general, by and large, I don't think the United States would start a war just because, essentially. I don't think that that's something I'd like to think that we still have enough morals as a country to realize that um, that kind of operation 
just fighting for the sake of fighting or fight, fighting for the sake of contact, conquest or something like that, that that's wrong and that we wouldn't do that. China does not have the same limitations. They are okay with harassing and being mean. And this is once again talking about the Chinese government. We have I have nothing wrong with the Chinese people. The Chinese people are awesome. They have been through a lot and they've come through immense tragedies quite resiliently and are still kicking. So kudos to them. They've done a lot with a little and also while dealing with a communist government, which is a testament to their strength because that's basically like an instant handicap. It's like having an arrow in your knee. But anyway, they're not bound by any higher honor code or any sense of morals and justice, from what I understand. That's not really part of their society. So their government, if they become the strongest actor on the world stage, they can pretty much bully everyone else as they see fit. And the rest of us are more or less forced to go along with it. Essentially, if China actually does corner the market on strength. And that's very much what they're trying to do. They are currently in a state where they're, they've, like, with COVID happening, everyone completely forgot about poor Hong Kong. Like, who even knows what's happened to them now? Because they dropped out of the media completely, and we never really found out. I can imagine that there are probably plenty of protesters who were disappeared as a result of that whole entire situation. But that, that whole entire the Hong Kong protest completely dropped off the map. Everyone stopped talking about it, disappeared from public eye when COVID started. So we don't know what played out as a result of that. Uyghur Muslims in China, concentration camps, uh, Taiwan constantly threatened, threatened South China Sea aggression, the list goes on and on where China basically is ratcheting up tensions. I think they were even having border disputes with India. They're kind of like a nasty pit bull who has not been loved or treated right, who is violent towards everything that's in its near vicinity. And eventually, given enough time, they are going to become a problem. So you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with education? And for those of you who are astute and thoughtful, you've already figured it out. But basically, this whole entire speech that I've just given relates to education because education is power. Knowledge is power. And that's very much, education is very much what's going to decide the fate, ultimately, of the U.S.-China dispute. And by dispute, I mean just simply the fact that we both exist, both countries exist on a stage with no higher authority that's going to arbitrate between them. And so essentially, whichever one ends up stronger is going to be the one who ends up calling the shots. Currently, the U.S. is stronger and we're basically acting like idiots around China. We're giving them too many opportunities to slit our throats at this point. And you might be asking what I mean by that. Well, example number one is letting them get away with human rights violations. Example number two is basically like 
letting them be aggressive towards other people in their regions, Taiwan, South China Sea, India, all those places, China needs to get in line and stop acting like a nasty little child. And there's a whole entire North Korea mess too. China could have shut that down long time ago, but they like having North Korea there as a little buffer state to protect them from having democracy right up against their their borders. And then, of course, there's uh, basically currency manipulation and the strategic intellectual property theft, how they run companies. The list goes on and on. Where basically the U.S. has basically allowed ourselves to be playing like idiots by China. And it's mostly because we have leaders who are completely and utterly spineless. And I guess that's kind of one thing that Trump did pretty well that people who don't support Trump would never give him credit for this. But I think objectively it could be said that he's had the toughest stance on China of any president that we've had for quite a while. But anyway, right now we're at the frontier. We're on the precipice of a number of revolutions. And education is going to decide who claims that frontier. And if we, as the United States, the champions of justice and freedom, in theory, don't get our crap together, we're going to let China claim that frontier. And then we're going to live in a world that is controlled by their ideals. And that's why we had the whole entire conversation about dog eating dogs, because in that world, the strong win and the weak die and the U.S. would be the weak and we would most likely get eaten and it would not be fun. So anyway, that was a grim ending for that first episode of this little series. This was once again, Stop to Think with Chandler. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll pick this up in the next episode. Have a great day.